1: Oh, my dear friends, some of our Seek Reality guests are such crowd favorites that I know that when I announce their names, wherever you are, and most people are driving to work or you know, working out at the gym, or maybe you're taking your daily walk or riding your bike or whatever you're doing, when I announce these favorite guest names, I know I'm going to hear all the way from wherever you are, you're going to go, yes, and today's guest is one such crowd favorite. Here for the eighth time is our wonderful, beautiful friend, Father Nathan Castle.
0: Hello, everybody.
1: Father Nathan's third book is just now being assembled. And like his first two books, it will be called Afterlife Interrupted, Helping Stuck Souls Crossover. Although this one, of course, is book three. Its subtitle will be Please let me explain. And that's, you'll see why in a minute, why that's the the subtitle. We've known Father Nathan here at Seek Reality for more than four years now. So most of us already know his story, but for those of us who don't yet know it, Father Nathan is a Dominican priest. He lives and works in a community of Dominican men and women serving the University of Arizona in Tucson. He's a gentle and a very spiritual man, and about 25 years ago, he was recruited by elevated beings not in bodies to do spiritual rescue work with them. I've only lately come to accept to my horror, and I think to yours too, that almost 25% of the people who go, you know, through a death process for whatever reason, and we all are going to do it sooner or later, but almost 25% will go off track for a time when they die. They don't immediately go to heaven, as they say, or transition, as we like to say. Father Nathan helps to rescue some of those people when they feel ready to be rescued. Before I met him, I already knew quite a lot about more traditional spirit rescue work, and I even had experimented with learning how to do it myself with Bruce Moen, who has since transitioned himself, but I never would have dreamed that the Catholic Church would even sanction and allow spirit rescue work by priests. Then in 2019, I read his first book, which is terrific. Actually, they're all terrific. It's called Afterlife Interrupted, Helping Stuck Souls Cross Over, and everything in it was completely consistent with what I had already learned during afterlife research I did it for decades. His books are just terrific. And you're going to love Father Nathan. Father Nathan, welcome. I'm so happy to have you here.
0: Well, that's a lot to live up to, but I'm very happy to be with you too. And, and I think this is the first time that we're both audio and video. Is that correct?
1: We just started doing it a couple of months ago. Yeah, yeah, this is this is fun. I really I really enjoy doing this. I thought I wasn't going to enjoy it. I always said, you know, I have a great face for audio, so let's stick with audio. But no, this is fun.
0: Well, I'm, I'm very happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me again.
1: And I, I love seeing you wearing a cassock and looking so priestly.
0: <laughs> yeah, this is my Dominican habit. I also have a podcast that's called The Joyful Friar. And this is, um, you know, I just put this on because I was going to be on your show. (laughs) (laughs) I I normally wear it when I'm teaching or preaching or doing something public, but uh, uh, I threw it on today because I'm going to be on your show.
1: Well, thank you. I, we, so you dressed up for us. I don't dress up at all. I wear what I wear, but that's all. No, it's, it's
0: pretty quick. It's just a matter of putting it on over whatever else you were wearing already. You wear
1: jeans normally, right?
0: That's what. That's exactly <laughs> it. And usually, Houston Astros gear or Dallas Cowboys or something it gets playoff time, you know. And uh, <laughs> so uh, that's on underneath this.
1: Well, let's talk about because some people. I think most people who who are regular with Seek Reality have have heard you before, because I hear from people who who tell me that they'd like to have you back. But let's talk about what this process is, because it is a process that that happens.
0: It is. And you um, you were um, including me in the cohort of people that do spirit rescue work. It's not a, a word that I claim for myself. I'm okay with people you know, having their various ways of thinking of things, uh, but I was just taught to pray for the souls in purgatory as a little kid, and it was as conventional as could be. It, was, it wasn't it was thought of as some uh, strange or uh, uncommon gift. It was something that all of us uh, could do to help everybody else out, and uh, so I was doing this from tiny, from, you know, kindergarten. It, it took on different manifestations along the way, including the phenomena that I talk about in the books but but it's all consistent it's all part of a piece that life and afterlife are a continuum and that we care for everybody always that's the idea
1: but what ha- what happens is that you you ha- you get a, a special variation of a dream right
0: I do um in fact this is the current journal that I'm using it's just you know a plain little composition book that I keep on the nightstand. This is the third one because I filled up two previous ones. But uh, yeah, I just, I, about once a week, I get a dream that is not my own psychobabble. I distinguish between having a dream or receiving a dream. Right. Uh, last night I had a dream, but I didn't receive one. My my spirit or whatever was churning away at whatever it is our normal dreaming does. And then once in a while, I think about three days ago, I get uh, a story that is not my own. And very often it involves the death of the person telling the story. And very often that death is a sudden abrupt one, car crashes and drownings and shootings and stabbings in any of the way. Once in a while, they are natural deaths that occurred suddenly. We're gonna talk about one of those today, Uh, but most of the time they're uh, violent events that caused a, a person to not move smoothly and easily into the afterlife.
1: And so when you get one of these, that's a sign. Is it that that someone feels ready to complete a transition?
0: Yes. And I was taught, and it's been my experience through these, all this work, that we're never absolutely alone, even when we appear to be or even try to create isolation, that we at least have what I call a guardian angel. People might use light being or spirit guide or some of the words to describe mm-hmm. that person but none of us are here absolutely on our own we're always accompanied even if we feel abjectly uh, separated from everyone and everything
1: absolutely and, right
0: and that guardian um, stays with us in fact uh, uh, there there being the word guardian presumes guarding you from harm but it's also true that you arrived here mortal, that you were going to die of something and your guardian right. is, is not going to change that. And they might be able to affect some change here or there, but there's going to come a day when your spirit's going to leave the body and your guardian will stay on because that's uh, that's a moment. <laughs> there's a lot of adjusting to be done, even if it came with preparation uh you know in a hospice where everybody was wondering how much longer you'd be here, your guardian will still be with you when that moment comes and see that you're um well situated afterwards.
1: So uh, then you you assemble you have people who help you.
0: Yes. I, I had what I call prayer partners. Um the on the when a person the ones that come to me that have died these sudden violent deaths, they needed afterlife intensive care they weren't lost or um they they just were not ready for that kind of adventure that we often hear spoken about at wakes and funerals oh roberta must be up there just playing for me it might be on the first tee at, at heaven's golf course or just- <laughs> Jack is with his card buddies now playing poker or whatever. Well, those those joys that people enjoyed here do exist hereafter in even greater uh, magnificence. But sometimes when you just got shot, you just not might not feel like golf or cards. <laughs> you, you might need some time to uh, absorb what's happened to you and calm down. Uh, and there's a team of people that your guardian will gather for you to see that you get everything that you need some of them are people are um uh, people who lived here on the earth who loved caring for wounded folks and they continue to do it in the afterlife because it gives them such joy um, you know in the catholic church the some who uh Isidor the farmer, is the patron of farmers because he liked farming. You know, uh, Somebody who loves gardening becomes the patron of gardening and the teaching, the pe- patron of teachers. It's like that. There are just some things that become so much a part of who we are because of our experience of loving service that we don't want to jettison that when we leave here.
1: Right, right. Certainly not right away. Eventually we might
0: g- do something. Yeah, or you might downplay it, you know, the way that um, – I was a campus minister for years and years, and I still live on a campus, but I'm not doing that full time any longer um, because I'm I feel like I finished that. And yeah. so, yeah, people can finish a thing, but that doesn't mean that they detest it. It just means that they're not they're not fully engaged in that work anymore. And they've often gone onto something, some new adventure, uh, as you and I both have. Uh,
1: right. We're doing a lot of different things. That's true. So, uh, but you you know that they are ready to perhaps be helped. And so you assemble your your team then, right?
0: I do. Um, I don't seek out anybody. Uh, you know, if anybody in your audience said, oh, my, there's this priest. I wonder if he would give me a message from Grandma. Well, no, thank you. That's not <laughs> what I do. Uh, there are okay. others who do that, but that's not my calling. And I'm trying to stay a Catholic priest in good standing if I can and um that would <laughs> right. be helpful if I put that shingle on my door. Uh, I'm I, I wait for people to come to me and they do at about the rate of one a week. So I have enough work to do. So I get I write down the the dream that they show me in the little book I just showed you. And uh, I'm I have an appointment coming up uh, in three days with two of my prayer partners. So we do it by Zoom. And we gather for two-hour appointment time, and we can help two crossings happen in that amount of time. They never take more than about forty minutes. They, they're they're uh, they're vetted. They they're we're like the discharge staff at a medical center. Uh,
1: well, that's a great way to put it.
0: Where uh, there comes a point where you don't need to be in the hospital any longer because you've received uh, sufficient healing, and now it's time for you to go on. But we don't just leave you on the curb. We make sure that there is someone coming for you, that you understand your meds, your physical therapy, um, that you'll be well fed and housed. Uh, so we're kind of like that. We we just there are people who are brought to us because it's it's timely and they're ready, and and that we help them make a little move. Now the
1: the uh, first two books which i thought were terrific and the these books are easy to read they're fun to read and just touch your heart so much because the the people in them um often had traumatic crossings or um for one reason or another you really really feel for them and some of them were off track for quite some time but yeah. when they were ready to cross then then they went through this process with you and and were helped to complete their their transitions. The one that I most remember, just quickly, was Dwight. Obviously, he had the most spectacular story, yes. uh, unforgettable story. Um,
0: yeah, he's in the second book, I think. Um, I
1: think I think so too. He
0: uh, he he touched my heart because he was a young adult. He was about twenty two, maybe, and I've worked with that age group for most of my career. Uh, And he was a a Catholic young man who had uh, just confusion around who he was sexually. And um, in addition to discerning that he was probably gay, he also had kind of an itch for sadomasochism and had never done it and just decided that I'm going to explore that and check it out. And he followed directions of people that – he thought would be helpful in that regard. And in his first encounter with someone, he was murdered. Uh, the fellow that uh, that came into the place where they were to meet asked him if he could tie him to the bed. And after doing that, he shoved things that were like, he called them curtain rods that were sharpened to a point like a pencil. And sh- instead of some little nick or something, whatever happens there, it was uh, plunging sharp things into his lungs and you remember the rest Um, he said people came to help me and there was one guy that was not a technician he wasn't like a respiratory therapist or uh, he didn't have a a explicit medical skill to give he was just more like a hospital chaplain who came in and didn't stay too long because you shouldn't when people are very ill but he said I got better and stronger and his visits were more frequent and eventually he said "Um, did you ever see a crucifix And he said, well, of course, I was a Catholic. And he said, well, I'm that guy. And he said, and by the way,
1: Jesus was there. Jesus
0: was visiting as a hospital chaplain uh, with no angelic attendance or rays of light or anything except humility. And yes. And then he he said, did you know that there wasn't any loincloth that day? I was as exposed as could be to all the world. And they also put sharp metal things in me uh and I,
1: I went through the same thing and my mother was there and my, my mother, mother was sorry, there
0: and her because, because and it was on a different street yeah.
1: dwight dwight was so ashamed that he didn't want to transition he did because he was ashamed by he what uh, uh, he had people, died and jesus didn't said, even you, know you you think i wasn't ashamed too
0: sure and uh he was uh he wasn't not only the s part of it, the, even the fact that he was gay at all was not known to his family and co-workers and all of that. And so his yes. life had this explosive ending where he was he felt utterly exposed. And he said, um, if they'd known who and what I was, they might have wanted to run me out of town on a rail. So I ran before before they could chase me. And yeah. he in, in his afterlife little self, he wanted to find a hiding place. Um, right. But his guardian was with him, and it, somehow he ended up in a something like a hospital setting where he had the healing the gifts that were needed to help him along. and And then, in the end,, um, you know, we had a role in helping him out the door onto something better.
1: And the other famous visitor that we had who helped him to transition was somebody else named Dwight.
0: It was the I don't remember which president he was. He was the president when I was born.
1: Dwight uh, David Eisenhower.
0: He was and he he came through uh sometimes they do the the famous ones. One of the things about fame in in, in the kingdom of God is that everybody's famous. <laughs> yeah. But, <there's laughs> but, but I love that one.
1: story because it's the only one that I remember where where Jesus actually played a role in it. And
0: well well, where Jesus as Jesus of Nazareth, but he's uh he's embedded in everyone. By the Holy Spirit, oh, so, of
1: course, of course. Yeah. But so, but the, but I think that for for Jesus to come and not make a big deal of it and just say, don't be don't be ashamed, because uh, you know I I I was naked too in public, yes, and they were sticking things into me too. Yes. You don't have to be afraid to be to to be who you are. You don't have to you know.
0: And we all we all survive our deaths, which is the reason that I'm spending the latter part of my life. I'm 67 now. I just believe that a lot of people, even Christian people that are at church on the weekends, many of them don't really believe that they'll survive their deaths. They just yes.
1: don't. Jesus came to say, here you are and you're perfectly alive.
0: There are a whole lot of implications of understanding that you don't have to finish everything by the stroke of midnight. Uh, yes. Any any unresolved. Uh, Desire or project or whatnot—anything that your heart really longs for—it'll have its afterlife place.
1: Of course, it will.
0: That's just the joy of the the Easter message. There's a phrase in the that's used in the Catholic Church called the Easter proclamation. There's two versions of it: He is risen, or Jesus is risen from the dead. But the point of both of them is is that He's the pattern, the template, the first fruits. He's, showing us, that's He's right. showing us
1: what we are. That's right.
0: What we are. Yes. So don't yet. Don't, don't let it get you down. If everybody runs away on Good Friday and says they never met you, <laughs> don't have anything to do with you. It's all going to turn. It all that's will right.
1: Turn. That's right. So beautiful. But that's been the typical pattern. The thing about these stories, and I hope we get to all three, is that that. um, they, they're they not dramatic deaths. That was a dramatic death. But instead, these are stories of people who didn't properly transition in part because even though the death may not have been dramatic, the people were very, tr- they were troubled and went off track for that reason. And-
0: people- Yeah, I, I sent you um, three of, three stories out of 13 that are going to be in the next book. And one of them, Rudolfo, was shot and killed. So his was the more typical. That
1: was a traumatic death. Of yes, a, of
0: traumatic. The other two, uh, each died a natural death, but after a trauma that followed them to their grave.
1: Yes. So that, uh, let's and, let's talk about. We mean to get through all three, but let's talk about at least the first two, and and let's talk about Iron Mike because uh, uh, this is this is when this guy he could have been a contender. He could have been special, but yeah. something terrible happened to him this is a, a was a was a very minor league baseball player in the first part of the 20th century and and he was was a very talented baseball player and he hit a major home run and It was his name was Mike and uh, he was he was uh, uh, so good. And he hit that home run and he rounded the bases and he was doing so well. Everybody's cheering and and he just it was terrific. And then there was a commotion in the stands. And it turned out that his home run right out of the park, right into the stands, had hit a baby in the chest. And that baby died.
0: Maybe died almost on the spot uh he's up uh, there's a whole swirling around me right now uh he and and his, his his fans or whatever uh their 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 energy is all around me yeah he was um i think in the i don't know where but i think it was the upper midwest he mentioned that um and i and radio was just coming in and people were listening to baseball games on the radio so i'm thinking it was the early 30s maybe mid to late thirties. I don't know. Um, but yeah, he, he was 24 years old the day that he, it was a home game and it was the bottom of the ninth. So the, the, it was a three run home run. He, he said, I think these days, you call it a walk-off. And I said, that's right. We do call it that. And he said, I hit a walk-off, but it killed a baby. And, uh, they, the announcers, uh, explained to the people in the stands what was happening and asked if both teams would come out and pray uh, and he said, the bat was sitting on the ground next to me while we were praying for this baby. And he said, I just, that moment I lost baseball, which was my great love. I lost all of my friends who were baseball players. And he said, I, I felt like I needed to crawl in a hole and die. And so I became a coal miner. So I could crawl in a hole every day and hope that I would die young because the mines were always collapsing or blowing up. Or if they didn't, you at least got black lung and died young, uh, and he said, "I I came when I got out of the the hole in the ground at, at the end of the workday. I went into a room in a boarding house and disappeared into the bottom of a bottle, became an alcoholic. It just
1: toward his life. No, he, did. That he would not
0: guy. hear it from anybody that it wasn't your fault. That any it could have happened to anybody. It was an accident. He just refused to hear it. He just formed this very." firm idea in his mind that he was now the killer a baby killer and he just would not turn loose of that and after he died people in the afterlife began to try to tell him the same thing and he says stop it you sound like just like all those people that have been telling me that ever since the moment it happened um but eventually he said they they kept trying everything with me and he said eventually that it was the children who wore me down because he said there are children who died playing baseball. Somebody ran out into the street to chase the ball and got hit by a car or whatever. Uh, there are children who've died playing baseball, and they sent them around him, and one of them said, Mr., when I died, I was mad too, but then I changed my mind. <laughs> and so eventually he just listened to a child, and and that began to melt him. And then he, as he got close to being able to do the work that we do to help a person move along, he was still kind of chickening out. But he said he I guess they felt like he was ready enough and they got him in my line. And then he said they he said, I don't know how it happened, but I'm wearing the clothes I was wearing that day, except there's light coming out of them. So somehow he was wearing his baseball uniform again, and it was light and he was in the dugout. And he said, there are some children here, boys and girls that are in baseball uniforms because they won a contest to get to take me out onto the field to meet Lou Gehrig.
1: Isn't that beautiful in Lou Gehrig? Yeah, I don't Gehrig. know if
0: you or your uh, listeners and viewers have ever seen his speech. You could find it on YouTube, but he announced to the world that he had uh, ALS, which it ended up have, you know being Lou Gehrig's disease. And he was still on the active roster with the Yankees when he uh, was having symptoms that caused him to need to retire. And he did that in a microphone in front of the stands at Yankee Stadium. It's quite famous. And he calls himself the luckiest man in the world because of how well-loved he had been and so on. Um, So anyway, Lou Gehrig was out there on the field, and Iron Mike had to walk from the dugout to Lou Gehrig and talk into the microphone and tell the truth. And so he said, and the people in the stands were all people who had tried to help him whose help he um, would not receive.
1: Because they all had passed by then.
0: Well, yes, all those who had passed. And he'd been gone for so long that I think just about everybody in his life would have passed. But he just said, I'm so sorry that I made life difficult for all of you. All you were trying to do was help me, and I just wouldn't hear it. And I know the truth that you were trying to tell me is I didn't kill a child. I swung about and hit a ball. Uh, It it wasn't my fault and there was no need for me to make life so hard on myself or on anybody else. But I'm sorry. And uh, just telling the truth was all he really needed to do. And he didn't have to give a long speech because it really only was one cogent idea. So he did that. And then for me, the, the, the next part was that my mother walked him back to the dugout.
1: Your your mother, who was an obsessive baseball fan.
0: Who who was a baseball fan in the 1930s in New Orleans. She was a fan of the New Orleans Pelicans when she was growing up in New New Orleans in the 1930s. And then, you know, you and I are both from Texas. I don't live there anymore. But when the Houston Houston Colt 45s came to town in 1962, I was six years old. And I can remember going to Colt Stadium. And I remember seeing the hole in the ground that was the Astrodome. Uh, We went to the first game in the Astrodome. Um, saw Mickey Mantle hit the first home run in an exhibition game. We always were listening And the the Astros are in the playoffs right now. And I've got a picture of my mom somewhere nearby. Um, Here it is. I wonder if it can pick up.
1: Yeah.
0: (laughs) We went, we took her to the first World Series game in 2005 when she was 85 and she had to climb up all the way into the top. It wasn't one of those handicap accessible. She was in a walker, but she, they made us, we were there like four hours early and climbing all the, up all those stairs. And she was just the, um, the icon of a, of a fan who had been long suffering, (laughs) was getting to see her team finally be in the World Series after decades. And they gave her a standing ovation while we were climbing up to our seats. Everybody could just see that this lady has got, got true grit. And so anyway, she walked him back to the dugout. She didn't say anything. She just waved at me. And that's kind of her way. Wow. Iron Mike, is the name of that story.
1: <laughs> beautiful. But but the thing is, that's all he really had to do was forgive himself. And Which forgive just him. meant
0: telling the truth. Um, yeah. He, sometimes people will do a thing like that. They'll create some narrative they think is more important than the truth. It's still a lie, even if you're you think you're creating this lie for some benevolent reason. If it's not the truth, it's not going to serve you. Um,
1: yeah,
0: to be the truth. But
1: that was beautiful, and Lou Gehrig was there to help to help him.
0: Yes, and that that celebrity angle, I, I try to remind people that people who were famous on the earth for what one reason or another, and it is usually one reason or another, they had a nice voice, you know, or they wrote yeah. a book, or they, you know, it, they're not famous for everything under the sun. They're usually famous for something uh, yeah. or some aspect. And he said here, everybody is well-known, but but those of us that had some fame uh, during our lives on the earth got used to using it to help people visiting in a hospital or right. Lending your voice to a charity event or something. And he said, we just do the same thing here. It's nothing that we weren't doing already. It can boost yeah. a person to know that somebody famous cares about them and notices them.
1: That's a few. I think that's a beautiful story.
0: It's a favorite of mine because baseball's in my blood. and you know. <laughs>
1: Right. <laughs> and then we've got Rudolfo, the martyred farm worker.
0: What a story. Uh, I was... I. In that one i received the dream the way he told it uh i i knew i was i knew that the people i was with mostly spoke spanish they were in a truck in a field singing happy birthday in spanish when gunfire rang out and i woke up and it turned out that uh there were they were migrant workers uh somewhere in the united states many of them were from mexico or central america and many were not here legally But they were working in the fields. And there were a couple of at least a couple of women who had the coyote that helped them cross the border illegally felt entitled to part of their wages and was stealing money from them after they did all that backbreaking stoop labor and in the fields. And they complained about it because they were working alongside other people who didn't have anybody like that stealing their money and this man Rodolfo just decided to take their side and he said I knew doing it there would it might be a bullet with my name on it because these people mostly are associated with cartels it's not just random meanness usually they're in a pyramid of of meanness and um an inverted pyramid where everybody stands on top of everybody else and anyway he was he was shot and killed for standing up for these women but then when he came Instead of feeling a little bit of energy at the front end, I felt this enormous energy. And I, I told my partners, I don't know what this is, but it's just way stronger and more beautiful and powerful than normal. And it turned out, he said, I'm here with all the martyrs all the way back to the first century of the Christian church. Um, he said, they're counting me among them, even though I just got here. And they all came with me today.
1: Wow. <laughs> yeah. Got to tone that down a little bit.
0: <laughs> well, he, at the second time he came, we always ask them to come back once more to ask permission to use their story publicly because these stories are so personal that I just think it's polite to ask if it's okay to share it in the public. And when he did the second time, he said he, he, did a, he, he conferred, he did a little homework to find out how to show up to me and my prayer partners without being so strong. And they said, oh, sure, we'll show you. It's not that hard. There's some way to kind of dim your light <laughs> uh, to not be such a glare. And he, so he did that. And he he kind of slid in uh, and, and said, I'm learning something new all the time. But I learned how to come and be with you today without it being, you know, so much energy. But what a delightful person.
1: Yeah. Wow. Now, one of the things I wondered about is why you don't ask them during the first meeting, whether you can share the story, is it because you're not sure whether you're going to want to, whether there, it will fit in the subsequent book?
0: Well, there's so many of them. I have about 325 stored stories, and there are only 13 in each of the two books that are out in public right now, and 13 in the in the upcoming one. So that'll just be 39 out of 325. 40 or whatever. And you
1: don't want to promise it'll be in a book when you don't know if it will.
0: I don't even tell them that. In fact, I, I I tell them we're considering, we're discerning whether to include your story in a book, but we don't want to go any further if we don't have your permission. Yeah. And, and then oftentimes I'll say, well, thank you for even considering me. I'm so honored. Uh, and yeah. if you choose to include me, um, I'll give some thought into how I might, uh, what I might say. Some of them take it as the opportunity to do something like final last words or, uh, you know, some message from beyond. Uh, and uh, I, because I'm still working on the book, there's one I didn't share with you of a young man who died inside a chemical refinery. He's from a, an Italian family. He he was only about 23 when he died, and he died in in a, in a horrible wreck, tumbling down of an embankment into nasty water inside a refinery. <laughs> he, he, you, do you remember the the Far Side comics?
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Of course.
0: Uh, there was one called the Crisis Center. You know that comic was usually a one panel comic. It wasn't a, se- a series of little boxes telling a story. And in the in the Crisis Center, there was a picture of a building that had probably been swept away in a flood and was now in a river. It was on fire and it was about to go over a waterfall. And, and on, on the outside of the building, it just says crisis center. Well, every possible crisis was happening at the crisis
1: center. Yeah, right. Absolutely.
0: And he had a moment before his death where he, he was in the middle of a 15 passenger van, not near a door or a window in the back. And he thought, I can't get out of here. And there had been an explosion in the refinery. They were having to turn around on a narrow road uh, uh, above a bluff. And the guy that was driving had never driven a fifteen-passenger van, and he was trying to turn it around, and there wasn't enough space. And then he had about a dozen backseat drivers shouting at him to tell him how to do it better. And he said, "I could. Here's what could happen: if this thing rolls, I'm going I could die of blunt force trauma because nobody's wearing a seatbelt." He said, "Think of when you go to the airport and ride the shuttle from the parking lot. Nobody puts on a seatbelt in a shuttle." And we weren't wearing seatbelts. I thought I could die of blunt force trauma. Um, this thing could blow up into a ball of fire or I could drown to death in nasty water inside a refinery. He felt like he was in the crisis center. <laughs> he, <laughs> he remembered the <that>. public <laughs> and he said, oh crap, I'm in the crisis center. And, and the thing did tumble, but he said, I don't remember which way I died because my little guardian, he called his guardian Tinkerbell um, from Peter Pan. And said, Tinkerbell got me out in a hurry. She sat me over here to the side and she said, you can look over there if you want or not, but your yeah. your body carried you through a lot of things, but it couldn't carry you through that. But I've got you and we're safe right over here and we're going to stay here until you say the word. And he said, well, I was sitting beside a nasty wreck inside an exploding oil refinery. Why would I have wanted to stay there? He said, if you got a better place for me, take me there. So they didn't stay there long and then- uh, he went on with a lot of other things, being in a big Italian family where everybody was kind of gossipy and mean to each other. They loved each other, but they couldn't leave each other alone. They were always picking. And he said he just didn't want to work in a family business because he didn't want to sign up for a life full of pettiness. And, and in the afterlife, he said, they came for me. Uh, and he called them the floating Anthony. St. Anthony of Padua was the patron of the family. And everybody was named some version of Tony. And. <laughs> He said there was nobody in the family that wasn't named Tony or Antoinette or uh, Tonette, or we tortured that name and made as many different varieties of it as we could. And he said when they showed up for me, he he remembered the Flying Walendas from the circus, you know, yeah. that family that did trapeze stuff. He said they're all floating and they're all Anthony's. They're the floating Anthony's. And so- <laughs>
1: At least he kept his sense of humor. He did. He had all. a sense of
0: humor all through it, uh, and so I, I just loved the, the way that he told a story, and yeah. the way that he, 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 he said they've been visiting me a little bit at a little at a time, and they said, "What the hell are you doing here? You're too young, Tony. You know, uh, who said you could be here? You should be back there." Um, and then in the end, he. He just, he said, you're going to like being with us now because we've all been through it. We've all been told we can't torture each other for all eternity. I think we that's
1: all, a very useful lesson to learn. <laughs> we
0: all, and he said, no one of us had our nose rubbed in it, we've all been shown how foolish our behavior was and how hurtful. And we all have had to promise that we're leaving that behind. And you're going to really enjoy our family a lot more than you used to because we just don't. They're all kind of grief. So I thought that was hopeful because just about everybody's family has some element in it that you have to dodge or avoid or Thanksgiving or yeah the or the, whatever, the funeral. There's just so much drama in families that I thought people might like to know that you could look forward to a day when everybody in your family is well behaved. And that
1: sounds like a very <laughs> useful story to publish.
0: <laughs> That's what's going to be in the book. Yeah.
1: <laughs> That's going to be in the book.
0: It'll be in the book, yeah. Yes, I, th- uh, I think it will we'll all Tony, Tinkerbell that. and the Floating Anthony's is the <laughs> name of the after.
1: <laughs> Tinkerbell, the floating anthonies. He just
0: remembered. Do you remember uh, when Color TV was just coming in and on Sunday nights, Walt Disney had a program called The Wonderful World of Color? And there was a
1: Yes, a, yes. Was,
0: yeah, it was there was an image of the uh, that castle at Disneyland.
1: Uh-huh.
0: And uh, on the screen. Tinkerbell from Peter Pan, from Disney's Peter Pan flew around with a little wand, and everywhere she touched yes, him, made it
1: like fireworks color.
0: in different colors when 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 color TV was just brand new. Well he, yeah. he remembered that, or at least he he thought of Tinkerbell and said everywhere she goes, she's he said they all fly, but this one she just darts about like sparks and everywhere she goes, there's light. And Isn't
1: that nice? So
0: he just decided to call her Tinkerbell.
1: That's lovely.
0: <laughs> He's funny.
1: No, I, I. Each of your books is so much fun to read, and you coming across these unexpected, you know, beings that that you you never expect are you're, you're going to ever see um, for real. I, I come across um, old um, old TV, you know, Raymond Burr. Well, he's in one of these too.
0: Showed up in one. I, I watched. Um, I was again born in '56, and the, he was in that series of uh, Perry uh, Mason during those years. And it, they were already in reruns after school when I was in elementary school, and we watched them just about every day. Yeah. And I read later that he had been gay and partnered, and kind of got away with it. In the uh, yeah, in the, I, when,
1: I didn't know he was gay.
0: I read about it in some something that crossed my. my 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 space and he was um uh you know he did ironsides remember he played a lawyer that was in a wheelchair yeah Uh, yeah he
1: did that later
0: and and, and another thing
1: i mean but it shouldn't have mattered. I mean, who cares what his se- his sexual preference is? Well, he
0: said, I lived in a time and a place where it would have been the end of my career where that none publicly, at least broadly. I
1: guess, and, I guess, but it shouldn't uh, have mattered. I he, said he, I a, he said, I had to put on
0: he said, I had, I could come home and be myself, but I didn't only put on a face in front of the cameras. I put on a face when I left the door in the morning, had the house in the morning. But he showed up for a, a young, for a man who was. It was
1: Samuel uh, the clothier, right? Samuel
0: the clothier. Samuel was um rotund. Um, what do you call it? Um Portly.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, but he was a he 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 understood, you know, in his early early in his career as a young adult that he was gay. And he said, you know, I have to make a life. And I, I have to, I'm gonna live a life that's happy. And he he decided that he he had an eye for um. What made men look good? And he thought, I could clothe men and I could help them look their best. And yeah. his life was nobody's business. And uh, so he became a clothier and, and he said, I really liked when people would come in, um, that I, it, it, w- this was just not off the shelf buying stuff. This was coming in and having a consult. Yeah. And he would say, he would get people to to look at themselves in a the mirror and then he'd say, I want you to tell me what you admire. What do you like about your appearance? And most people have never been asked that. And some struggled with the very idea of telling another person you really like your hair or you really like <laughs> anything about your physique. Um, and yeah. he said, well, let's build on that. And and then he said most shorter people wanted to look taller. You know, heavier people wanted to look thinner. Um, he, he would work with them about uh, how can we um, improve your your appearance to yourself and to others and so he said for example you have you have bright green eyes anything in a shade of green is going to attract people to look you in the eye
1: huh. so, so he knew all... all about those tricks
0: yes huh. and he said um you also have a very warm smile now a warmth in fabric comes with this kind of we, we wouldn't put wool on you because it's scratchy I want there to be warmth in the in whatever touches your skin because I want it to play back to your warm smile. So he would teach them about their body and that it that it was easy to, to overcome whatever you thought its shortcomings were with the right um, look, with the right outfit.
1: And no, so- I, I, I think that it's one of the things I love about your books is that you love the people that you help.
0: How can you not? I mean, they're just well, like,
1: Right. But the point is, you you it's clear that you have a personal relationship with each of these people, even though you're not with them for a very long time. It's personal.
0: I bet a lot of people in our audience today have had some part of their life where they have some sort of intimate connection with somebody, even if it's brief. Maybe it is in their occupation, or maybe it was on a plane, or... Or maybe it's a I don't know a distant relative that of your union or it could be just about anything but that m- people can connect heart to heart uh, briefly sometimes and these connections are are brief but they can be very heartfelt.
1: Well, it's clear that that's the way you feel about the people you're helping yes. that that have transitioned but they they sort of miss the exit and and they they needed to get some things right and they do it with their guides they do it with with in 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 rehabilitation gardens or with some help when they're ready then to complete their transition you help them go the rest of the, you and your helpers help them go the rest of the way and you love these people
0: I and, do, and sometimes and, people want to ask about the spatial quality of it. Is did they go into? Were they in purgatory? And what's purgatory? And did they go into? There isn't. They're not heaven?
1: really in. You and I know they're not in any kind of purgatory. They're they're in a place of love, peace, and and it, it's like a, it's like a rehabilitation garden. I'm sure.
0: Well, whatever it is, purge just purgatory. Purge means to cleanse, and so sometimes they're in a place. They're being of-
1: cleansed.
0: Yes. that doesn't mean they have to be uh, enduring some horrible no, ordeal. They're
1: there. not being harmed at all. They're being loved.
0: That's all I've seen. and I try to stick with what I've seen. I, I, my public work, my, my podcast and my books and talks and stuff. I try to I'm, I was a sociology student at Trinity University in San Antonio. And in, in the social sciences, the discipline is to create an, a, a way to observe behavior under controlled circumstances say what you observed and quantify it, write it down. And if you want to have an opinion about it, you have to label that as a secondary exercise. Your job as a social scientist is collect data and make it available. So I, when we do our work, we record it on an app on the phone. I get it transcribed into a, a Word document, clean it up a little bit for ums and ahs and stammers, and then show it to the public. Um,
1: but I think we're basically saying the same thing. It's a place of love and peace where they're being cleansed and made to feel strong and made to feel ready. And yes. then you help them to complete their transition. I can't believe we have no time left at all. This well, always happens to us, my dear. Well,
0: but this is my eighth visit with you. We can go on for all eternity if you want. We,
1: we, we're going to keep doing this. <laughs> we'll... We'll do this again once your book is out, and we'll talk about some more of these wonderful, wonderful episodes. But it's clear to me, my dear, that you love these people, and it's clear that that they deserve your love because each of them is God's child. And you're helping them to complete their transition in a way that makes them feel whole and beautiful and loved.
0: And they're giving permission to use their story because they want to help people, too.
1: Of course, of course. Oh, my dear, thank you so much for being with us yet again.
0: Great to be with you again.
1: And it's very good to have you with us. And we have no time at all left, sweet, my dear, sweet friends, except to tell you that our next guest is going to be someone else from that list of people that is especially loved by everyone at Seek Realities. Wonderful family. Just, I'll just tell you very quickly. Peter Wright is going to be our guest next week, and he's someone else that's making you go yay yay. And he'll be here for the 18th time. Uh-huh. Peter and I have some have become very good friends at this point, and so whenever I call him to come back, and usually that's because I've heard from someone that Peter has helped. And I always want him. He's our regression therapist. He does past life regression therapy. And um, I always want him to come back and talk about that. He says, oh, well, no, let's talk about this other thing that he also can do. So I'm not sure what we're going to be talking about next week, but Peter will be here. And whenever Peter comes, it's always fun. So please be sure to join us next week. And I'm so sorry to tell you, we don't have any time left. Our guest this week is has been Father Nathan, who is a Dominican priest. And as you can see, he is just a bundle of joy, love, and light. And he helps people. He and his team help people to complete their transitions home. And as you can see, he helps them with the kind of joy and love. He was recruited to do this, and you can see why. He helps people in the way that God would want them to be helped. And he's been doing this now for 25 years. Um, I cannot say enough wonderful things about Father Nathan. He will be back again with us after his book is out. And to talk, he'll talk some more about some of the people that he has helped. We don't have time to talk about what my books are, but you know what they are anyway. Um, as always, um, Seek Reality Online is your one-stop resource for all things afterlife. Life is eternal. These people that, that um, are, are being helped by Father Nathan have long since transitioned most of them and um they're going they're just going to another phase of their eternal life life is eternal your life is eternal everyone's life is eternal and if you want to talk about anything at all just go to the green contact block under brittagrimes.com i answer every email but i can only answer that email and usually it takes a couple of weeks at least I'm sorry about that, but I get so many emails, and uh, and between between blogging and between these weekly podcasts, I, I, and I also continue to practice law, believe it or not, because I'll never get it right. Um, so between all of these things, it, it does take me a while to get to get to everything. More than 500 past episodes of Seek Reality are available wherever audio podcasts can be found. New audio episodes each week are available on the Seek Reality app is the quickest and easiest way. And that's available for free wherever free apps are available. Um, You can see new video episodes each week on Roku or Firestick. And meanwhile, this has been Seek Reality. With Roberta Grimes, please enjoy, please make the most of this coming week in our one reality, always knowing that you are a powerful, eternal being. And you, most of all, in this entire universe, please know, please never forget that you are infinitely, eternally, perfectly, and forever loved. You've
0: been listening to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Roberta blogs and answers questions at robertagrimes.com.